Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And uh, we're going to uh, be continuing on through the book of Acts. Today is our last message for a few weeks from Acts, and then we will go on and be dealing with a different topic. And that, that topic that we're going to be dealing with in the next few weeks, excluding the couple of missionary visits that we have in there, is going to be encouragement. We're going to be talking about Barnabas today. We've met Barnabas a couple times already. He's the son of encouragement, and so we uh, have a lot to learn from him. And so we want to spend a few weeks talking about um, encouragement and what that means and how to encourage and, and in what ways and in what uh, times, etc. And so that's, uh, that's something we're going to be doing during the month of July. But uh, for today, we're going to be picking up uh, in our story from Acts chapter 11. And uh, just I want us to think about kind of where we have come and what we've talked about a little bit. If you remember way back to chapter 1 when we first introduced the book of Acts, we were talking at that time about how, the, you know, if you look at the title page of the book of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles. Well, that's true, of course. You see the apostles going hither and yon, and they're preaching the gospel and sometimes performing miracles and doing stuff like that. And, and you see the things that they did and, and uh, bold moves that they took and the ways they suffered and, uh, and all of those things. And, um, and so, of course, it's the Acts of the Apostles. But really... What's going on and what's making the message and what's making the ministry of the apostles effective is that it's the Holy Spirit at work accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. Jesus had uh, ministered. He had come to this earth and he had called uh, the, uh, the apostles to himself and he had trained them and taught them for all of those years and shown them how to do things and introduced them to ministry, taught them truth, corrected them when they need that, performed miracles and all those sorts of things. And then he says, I'm going to go away and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will be in you. And the kind of the point being that Jesus is going to continue his ministry, but now through the Holy Spirit within the church. And so we see that begin to happen already in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church and we begin to see these things happening in a much broader context and in more places than Jesus could have on his own, humanly speaking. And so, uh, so we see that he's continuing his ministry, Jesus is, through the church. And so we call it the Acts of the Apostles, and that's not a misnomer, that's not a problem, but really it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the work. It's Christ continuing His ministry through His Spirit in His church. And so when we come to our passage today, we're going to see that really that is the case of what's going on here. As I was reading and preparing for this week and was reading through this uh, couple of paragraphs and, and thinking about the context and things like that, I'm, I was really struck by how amazing this church in Antioch was. And we're going to see some things about them that were incredible, some things that were very beneficial and effective and efficient in ministry. And, and they had a great effect uh, really worldwide from their ministry. And so I was looking at that thinking, what a church. But I want us to think about and, and flash back to the beginnings of our uh, sermon series on this book that really it's the Holy Spirit who's at work. It is God who is at work. And we're going to see clues even in this text that that's the case here. So we're going to uh, be in Acts chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 30. But before we get there, let me go ahead and pray and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, we uh, come this morning and we rejoice that we have your word in front of us, that we don't have to sit around and guess um, what you're like. We don't have to ponder with one another and philosophize and, and uh, feel deep within to find out who you are, what you're like, how we can know you, 
whether you're pleased with us or not. Instead, you've given us your word. And your word communicates very clearly to us who you are and who we are in relation to you. It communicates uh, your, your holiness and your uh, position as creator and, and all of those things and then uh, makes very clear the things that we already know in our own hearts that, that we are a, a very small people and, and sinful. And, and so how can we know you? And your word tells us that. So, Father, I thank you for your word. We rejoice that we get to open your word and we get to talk about things that are true. We don't have to postulate. We don't have to wonder and and think together and we can read your word. And so I pray this morning as we do that, as we come and uh, sit under the teaching of your word, as we, uh, all of us collectively are underneath your word, I pray that you, by your spirit, would minister to us, that you would apply your word in our lives, that we would understand uh, what you would have for us this morning. Father, we, we rejoice, and uh, we rejoice particularly in the, uh, the salvation that we have in Christ. That message that's going to be preached in this passage today that the, the uh, unknown disciples who went to Antioch proclaimed, uh, that message of salvation in Christ, we cling to that. And, and we see that Jesus indeed is our anchor. And I rejoice that we have such an anchor. Be glorified this morning in our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the, the church here at Antioch, and you can see kind of the progression of how things have gone through the book to this point. Uh, we've started in Jerusalem as a very Jewish church, and, and it's kind of edged out gradually, and, and uh, there, there was persecution that happened. And really, if you'll flip back, uh, keep your finger there in chapter 11, but if you'll flip back to uh, chapter 8... Uh, you can you can remember what happened there in chapter seven of Stephen's defense. Remember, Stephen had been arrested. Stephen is giving his defense. And what's the conclusion to his defense? They get furious and they, and they kill him. They drag him out and they stone him. Right. And he dies. He he gets killed there. And we read in the beginnings of of uh, of chapter eight there in verse one. Saul approved of the of the execution. So we're introduced to this guy, Saul, there. And and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions. And verse four says, now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And, of course, it tells the story of Philip going up into Samaria. Well, our, our story today, our passage today, flashes back to that time and restarts from that very moment. So what happened is the author was telling us about the events that happened with Philip and other things that were going on starting from that moment of uh, the persecution first beginning there with the death of Stephen. And so people were scattered from Jerusalem and they went preaching and it tells the story of Philip and all that kind of stuff and we get into Peter and whatnot. Well, now in our passage here, we go right back to that. So uh, we'll pick up in verse 19. Going back to that, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we're going to begin our, our discussion here today talking about the things that the church did, the, the, the things that were going on in the church, and we're going to see that we're very effective. We're going to see that there are things that, that we should emulate that are, are good for us uh, to pay attention to, and that first one there is evangelism. 
right? As they went, and remember they went not because they, they went on a missions trip like we've done, right? Sign up and, and raise funds and go on a mission. They, 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 and those are good things. I've gone on those and uh, we'll go on those again. But what happened was they were scattered because of persecution. And so they were run out of town. And when they went, of course, they took Christ with them. And as they went being persecuted, they spoke of Jesus and they shared the gospel. And so they were evangelists, even though they were just people. You'll notice that none of them is named here. We're not told that, you know, so-and-so apostle and his buddies went and did this. It wasn't Peter this time. It wasn't even Philip, you know. It, it was someone unknown. But as they went, being Christians, they shared the gospel. And we see that some of them, as they went, shared the gospel with Jews only. Now, these are their people. These are, these are the ones that they're used to. And the church back home in Jerusalem, before they got run out of town, that, that the church was Jewish. And so it'd be natural that you'd show up to a new town, you'd look for the Jews, the people you could naturally talk to, the people you could understand, uh, you, you know, you could make references to the Old Testament, and they would know what you meant, and things like that. So the ministry initially was to the Jews, but, but not everyone. There were some who uh, went and spoke to the Gentiles also. It says Hellenists. There's confusion about what this means, but what's happening is the author's trying to tell us some went to Jews only, and others went to other people. Not just Jews. Maybe maybe they were uh, maybe they were Gentiles who were converting to, uh, to to Judaism, and so maybe they were you know like proselytes or not quite proselytes. Maybe they were some of these different gradations. Maybe they were God fearers or whatever. But it wasn't even just that group. It was sort of everyone outside of Judaism. They began to speak to them also. Greek speakers like pagans, regular old Gentiles, and so the gospel was being shared with them too. And so you have some who were kind of focused on Jews, people they were familiar with, and others who, uh, who would share with, with anyone they came across. And so you have uh, some people traveled up as far as Phoenicia, which is like kind of going north up the coast there uh, from, from Caesarea, kind of that area. Uh, Sidon is in that, that area. So they were in Phoenicia. They were scattering that way. Some scattered uh, all the way over to Cyprus, which is an island uh, out there in the Mediterranean. So some went there, and we can remember that Barnabas came from Cyprus. So there's some connection. And some people went as far as Antioch. Well, Antioch is just a place we read about. Right, it's and actually there are two Antiochs in the book of Acts. There's Antioch and Pisidia, and then there's this Antioch. And so this is the big Antioch. This is not just a city, and it's not just the first one named. It's actually the third most important city in the whole Roman Empire, behind behind uh, Rome itself, and then Alexandria, and then now you have Antioch. And so it was a population at this time of maybe a half a million people. So it was a, a significant place. This isn't just another stop on the road. This is a major metropolis. And it was very international. It, it wasn't just Syrians. There were certainly Syrians there, and that's where it's located, is in Syria. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Syria. But uh, So there were Syrians there, there were Romans there, right? But you also had a, a lot of Jews. Because of the way the city was founded in the laws, the, uh, it enticed a lot of Jews to go there and start business, and they, they were Roman citizens by virtue of being uh, citizens in this city. And so it was a very important city. It was a very international city. It, I, I was doing some reading about this, and they were saying that there was even a considerable population of Chinese in the city. And so it was, it was a very multicultural, diverse, large city that, that invited people in from all kinds of places. And so you can imagine it's not like Jerusalem that was, you know, mainly Jewish with some Romans there. This was a very mixed place. And so we have, we have that going on. But as these people went there, and remember, we don't know their names. 
They're, they're like you and me. They're just regular people who were kicked out of Jerusalem, were run out because of the persecution that they were experiencing, and they shared the gospel as they went. And they had a very effective ministry. You could see that people were coming to Christ right and left. You see what's going on there is that the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord there. In verse 21, and so you see effective ministry happening, not by, not by the, the apostles or even the seven who had been named or, or anything like These were just regular people like you and like me sharing the gospel as they went. And we see that there's a considerable number of people coming to Christ. And so they were, uh, they were committed to evangelism just in their personal lives. This is just how they lived. And it's interesting that the gospel goes to a place like Antioch that is connected with the whole world. And so we don't read this, I'm speculating, but it wouldn't be too hard to imagine that, you know, some Chinese people come to Christ and you've got the gospel going back home to their place. Or you've got, you know, some Romans who moved in from over here or you, it's, it's a hub, becomes a hub for the gospel. And this reminds me of the uh, ministry really that the, that the Lattes have, uh, but you and are, you know, to, you go to Reno and you don't think you're reaching the world. But the ministry that they have is to the university students there, many of whom have come from all around the world, come to UNR to study and hear the gospel. And many of them come from closed countries that you and I, if we wanted to get a missionary visa to go there or we wanted to get a business visa to go there, we'd probably be turned away. But these people are from there and they're going to hear the gospel from the Lattes at UNR and go back home. And no one's going to stop them from going back home, even if they're from Pakistan or Iran or wherever. And so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strategic way that the Lord was moving here to reach people. So you see they did uh, evangelism. And they, they were doing it very effectively. But we continue reading there in verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So we see that, that they were doing evangelism, and now there's encouragement involved also. So Barnabas shows up. We've met Barnabas before. He's a very generous man. He's from Cyprus. Remember back in chapter 4, there were some financial needs within the church. He sold a field that he had and gave the proceeds to meet that need. So he's a very generous guy. But we also remember that back when Saul first became a Christian, Remember, he got run out of Damascus, not the, first, not the last place Saul's going to get run out of, right? Saul gets run out of Damascus and goes to Jerusalem, and the, the Christians there are, are nervous about him because he was just a few weeks ago or not too long ago, he was busy arresting Christians. And now he wants to come into their church meeting and he wants to preach. And so who is it that takes him by the hand and introduces him to everyone? It's Barnabas. This very same Barnabas. And so we see Barnabas is going to play a large role in his life, but he's referred to as the son of encouragement. Everywhere he goes, he's encouraging. Everywhere he goes, he's, he's uh, building up the body, sometimes in very practical ways by selling stuff and giving to the poor, sometimes in other very practical ways by taking a young man named Saul, who's a recent convert and is a genuine Christian, but people are suspicious of him, and he takes him under his wing, and he's going to uh, work in, in his life to introduce him to people and, and all those sorts of things. But it was a very encouraging congregation. Barnabas showed up and stayed, and he brought his encouragement with him, and he was building people up. 
And we see in verse 24 that the result was more growth, even more growth. A great many people were added to the Lord. So look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So all these people are coming to Christ, right? The church is growing. It's expanding. Evangelism continues to happen. People are being built up and the church is growing. We've got it uh, repeated a couple times here that the church is really booming. There's a lot of things going on. So what needs to be done? Well, Barnabas goes off to Tarsus to find Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so we see that we've got this, this booming church where a lot of people are coming to Christ. And, and they're not all coming from Jewish backgrounds. You've got some who are connected with the Jewish background in one way or another. And you've got others who are from a completely pagan background. And so Barnabas realizes we need to teach these people. And so he goes and he gets Saul. And uh, maybe more than a decade has passed by the way, since, uh, since the earlier events when, when uh, Saul first came to Christ. And so Saul, is, uh, he, he, he was a young man, powerful in the Word, from the moment he got saved. The first thing Saul did was begin to, to, to debate and refute the Jews that, no, really, Jesus is the Christ. Well, this is right after he became a Christian. And so now uh, a decade has passed, and he's, he's strong in the Word. Barnabas goes and gets him, and they meet, and they begin to teach. I don't know if you've ever been in a church before or in a, in a context where evangelism was very, very strong, but there was no teaching going on. I, I remember a, uh, a church that, uh, that Stephanie's brother uh, attended a number of years ago, and, and uh, he was talking about this church, and he was, he was telling us about all the goings-on, and they were very involved and stuff like that. And, and as he was talking, he, he began to say, yeah, we've got a lot of baby Christians. A lot of people are coming to Christ but they don't really know anything yet. They don't, they don't know the Word yet. And, and he was telling us that that had a lot to do with the gifting of the pastor, that the pastor was a natural evangelist. He would go and he was leading people to Christ right and left. That's a wonderful thing. Right and left, he's bringing people to Christ. But then on a Sunday morning, when it came to teaching the Word, when it came to, to, to putting down some roots, he didn't really know how to do that. He was very gifted over here. But he was not gifted in teaching. And so you ended up with a church that, as my brother-in-law described, it was a mile wide and an inch deep. And they had all manner of problems in the church. Churches have problems because, you know, you and I are in them. But uh, they had all manner of problems because brand new Christians had not been taught. Well, that's a similar thing uh, that might have happened here with uh, the church in Antioch. But Barnabas goes and gets Saul and brings him in and for a year. They meet and they teach the people. And so these brand new Christians, their evangelism was booming, and now they're putting some roots down in the faith. Now people who understood Judaism and had that kind of background, now they see that the Scripture points to Christ. And the people who had come from a background of knowing really nothing at all about the Lord are having roots put down also by these teachers. So you see that there's a very strong element of teaching here. There's great evangelism. There's great encouragement. There's great teaching going on. And you see the result in the life of the church. Look at verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. 
And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what's the result? What's the result in the church? Were they, uh, were they, were they turned inward? Were they thinking about themselves only? Did they, did they spend all their time studying the Bible and no time uh, looking around at how they might apply it or seeing what this might mean for other people? No. When they heard about this other church, when they heard about this famine that was coming, they responded with charity. They responded with a desire to help them, a desire to meet their needs. The, the word that's used there for um, the ESV translates, translates it over all the world. Some, some versions mention it as the, the whole inhabited world. That's kind of a, a code. It, it, was a, it was a word that was used that meant the, the entire Roman Empire was going to suffer some sort of shortage of food. And so here you had a prophet coming and talking about that. There was going to be a shortage. And, and so when the church in Antioch hears, and by the way, Antioch's a pretty wealthy city. So the food shortage will have much less of an impact in their lives than it's going to have in the lives of the believers in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, particularly the Christians, the church there in Jerusalem was a poor place. We've already seen several times in the book of Acts that, that there was a need for some within the church to provide for basic necessities of others within the church. And so it was a, it was a poor congregation. They were, they were uh, struggling economically. And here you have a, a, a church that didn't have those same struggles, hearing about something that was going to happen and gathering together food or supplies or whatever to help the church in Jerusalem and in Judea to go through those issues, to deal with those problems. And so you see that there was fruit in their lives. It wasn't just a, a church that only focused on evangelism, nor was it just a church that was full of cheerleaders, nor was it just a church of a, a bunch of people who really studied God's word. But you see that it was a church with all of those things happening. And there was the fruit resulting in their lives of them caring for other Christians, taking care of the needs of other Christians, even far away. Even maybe they didn't even know them. Maybe they uh, didn't know much about them, but they were willing to meet their needs and give sacrificially to do so. So that's the that's the basic story of our passage here. And as I was reading through that, I was thinking, what a church. What an amazing church that we could learn a lot from. There was, a, there was an emphasis on all the right things, and there was a great result. I mean, the first thing I noticed when I read through this was people were coming to Christ right and left, right? You've got that being emphasized very strongly, that people are coming to the Lord, being added to the Lord. And so we see a church here that is exemplary, right? What a, what a success story of the gospel. And it was all started not by, you know, Peter the missionary or Peter the apostle going and planting it, but by people sharing the gospel as they went. So there was a effective evangelism going on. People were coming to Christ, and we've got Barnabas showing up and encouraging people. And you've got Saul and Barnabas teaching the people, and then you've got the result, the fruit in their lives of them with charity towards other Christians. So that's what the church was doing. But remember, this, this, is, this book is called The Acts of the Apostles, but what's going on? Where really does that power come from? What made it work? What made it so powerful there? And that's the question that I asked myself as I was reading this. Are we to glean from this that, okay, we need to focus on those four things and then we will have this result? Is that what the Lord would have for us? Those things are all good things to focus on. We should pursue those things. But there's something deeper going on here, and I want to look at that for a moment. Look at verse 20. There's a, there's a, a statement there in verse 20 that makes the rest of it make sense. 
said uh, there were some of them, men of Cyprus, Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. You see the heart of their preaching. You see the core of their message, and it was Jesus himself. They were proclaiming the Lord as they went. And so what, what was so powerful? Well, it was the preaching. They, they were preaching the Lord. They were preaching Christ as they went. They, they weren't distracted by other things. They were mainly sharing the gospel. They were mainly preaching Christ and who he is. And so, so that's, that lends to the power of what's going on here because they're really pursuing what is the core and central truth of Christianity. Not, not one of the other things that, that they could be talking about or whatever. They were really focused on preaching Christ. And that sounds like Paul later on when he says, I preach, I preach Christ and him crucified. I, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And so the, the message of Christ is the central message of the church. And that was a central message of the church there. And so we see that that is a part of the power behind what is going on. But, but, but he continues there. Look at the beginning of verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. This is the working of the Lord. They were preaching the Lord, but that in itself doesn't accomplish all these things that we see in Antioch. It's that the hand of the Lord was with them. They were sharing the gospel. They were preaching Christ. They were talking about the Lord, and God was blessing their efforts. God was at work. The Holy Spirit was at work drawing people to himself. He was at work uh, empowering the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God was blessing. God was at work. The real power behind what was going on here was God's message that God took and he was using. And so you see that it's the the presence of the, the, the Lord. It's the working of the Lord that really is accomplishing what's going on here. And so when I first thought about these, these elements that are in place and, and these four different, you know, we need to uh, maybe uh, set up a committee for each of these or we need to really focus on each of those, th- those would be good things to do. But that wasn't really the core, the power of what was going on. The power of what was going on is that the message of the gospel, the message of Christ was being proclaimed and God was blessing it. And therefore you have the results that you have in our passage here. We see even, even more clearly at the end of verse 21 there. Continuing on from the beginning. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And later on, a great many people, verse 24, were added to the Lord. Remember, this is the, this is the Lord working. This is God working to add people to himself is the way it's put here. It's the hand of the Lord working, blessing their message and drawing people to himself. And so we see that it is God at work from beginning to end in this place, using the message of the gospel to save sinners, growing this church. And so what's the secret? Well, it's not a formula that you and I can, can uh, deduce from here and then follow and see the same results. It was God using the message of the gospel by his hand to add to his people. It was God at work. It was God at work. And so... What made it work? Well, it was the Lord himself working. The hand of the Lord using the preaching of the Lord to add to the people of the Lord. Because this is the acts of the Holy Spirit. And so we see God at work here. And so the first time I read it, I really thought about those those main elements. And the second time I was looking through it, studying through it, thinking about it, and I was thinking, this is God doing all of this stuff. And then I started thinking, well... What does this all mean? What was going on? 
What was really going on here? What's the big picture? Why does Luke, the author of this, tell us about this? Why does he spend uh, this time introducing us to Antioch? Well, you know, later on, Antioch is going to be a very powerful sending hub for missions, right? This is going to be uh, Saul and Barnabas, the new dynamic duo. This is going to be their base of operations. They leave from here, they come back to there, they minister there, uh, etc. And so we see that Antioch is very important in the mission, but but there's something larger going on. This isn't just introducing us to their home church. There's something else going on. And so I want us to look at what, what that is. And so flip back, keep your finger here in Acts chapter 11 and flip back real quick to Genesis chapter 12. Because there's a larger story going on. This isn't, this isn't just telling us the life and times of Saul and Barnabas. There's something larger going on here, something that, that spans the whole course of the Bible. And so we go back to Genesis chapter 12, all the way back to Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. Of course, that's going to be the nation of Israel and beyond, and we see that. We see the development of that throughout the rest of this book and throughout the rest, particularly the Old Testament and on into the New Testament. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the blessing, the focus is primarily initially on Abraham and his family. Abraham and his family who will become a nation, a great nation. Of course, it's the nation of Israel, right? And so God is binding himself to the nation. He's making a promise and saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. He's, he's making a covenant with the nation of Israel. But he says, the purpose of my covenant is beyond you. It is so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so you see that all the way back in Genesis, you've got this promise that God is going to work with the nation of Israel. He's going to work within the nation of Israel to bring the Messiah, who's going to be ultimately their Savior. He's going to be uh, the, the, the one who's going to redeem them. And salvation is going to go beyond the nation of Israel. It's not just Jews. It's going to go beyond that. And so we see this promise all the way back in the Old Testament, this promise that is made to Abram that is intended to go beyond him. That he and his people and his family who will become a nation are to do so in order to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so I think all the way back to that Genesis 12 passage and the promise that's made to Abraham there. But what we see, and we already know, but we see that it's fulfilled in Christ himself. So flip to Luke chapter 24. And remember Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and also wrote this book, the Acts. And so we know that he's following the same train of thought. as He's, uh, he's addressing similar issues and reinforcing them as he goes. Look at uh, Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking. This is, this is uh, after the resurrection and, and he's got his disciples gathered there and he's teaching them, right? And look what he says there. Then he said to them, verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And so he's saying, yeah, you remember that promise to Abraham and all of the other promises? They all find their fulfillment in me. They all find their fulfillment in Christ. And the purpose is so that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, not just the Jews, but to you and to me. And so we see that that fulfillment happens there in Christ, that those words spoken to Abraham back 2,000, almost 2,000 years before were intended, uh, they were pointing towards Jesus and fulfilled in Jesus. And he says all that Old Testament stuff, the whole Old Testament that you know with all the promises, with all the laws, with the prophets and the Psalms, everything points to me and is fulfilled in me. So that repentance and forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed in my name to all the nations of the world. And so he's saying this is being fulfilled and fulfilled in Christ. And of course, it's there that he opens their minds to understand all of the Old Testament from the law of Moses to all the prophets and the other writings that all of that pointed to him and found its fulfillment in Christ. Included in that list, of course, was the promise to Abraham that in him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So we see that there's a there's a fulfillment going on in Christ of that promise from the Old Testament, which and that's point C here, brings us blessing. Brings us blessing. That's our passage. Because you and I, the vast majority of us, are Gentiles. We're not from the Jewish faith. We're not from a Jewish heritage. We're Gentiles. And had that first group of people who were uh, sprinting away from Jerusalem because they had been uh, they, they were being persecuted and, and they went with the message and it was good that they were sharing the gospel, but they shared the gospel with Jews only. And that probably wasn't by plan. It was probably just that's what they normally did. But God used this second group and ended up using this whole church at Antioch and ended up using Saul and Barnabas to take the message far beyond the Jews to people like you and like me who would otherwise have been outside the covenant so that God could bring salvation to us as well just like he had to the Jews already. And so you see that there's a great fulfillment of us being included. There is no longer that divide between Jew and Gentile. There's no longer that divide between uh, the, which ethnicity is within the covenant and which ethnicities are outside of the covenant. The covenant is in Christ. And therefore, the message of the gospel of Christ brings the covenant to you and to me when we trust in him. And so the blessing is brought to us. And so that's a larger message of what's going on here in the passage, that the gospel is brought to us and we are included, that that blessing that was promised almost 4,000 years ago now to Abraham is realized in Fallon, America. That blessing has been brought to us. And so we can praise God for his work in Antioch and all the wonderful things that went on there in Antioch, the things that he did. He did so in order to bring into the kingdom of God people from every tribe and tongue and nation, even Phalanites, even us, to bring us in. And so God has done an amazing work, and you see uh, glimpses of its completion. You see glimpses of it being fleshed out here in Acts chapter 11. 
And so that's, that's our passage for the day. And that's, that's the message that he has for us from this passage. There are things that, that we should look at. There are things that we should pay attention to, right? And, and the evangelism, I think about, you know, if I were persecuted and I got run out of my home and run out of Fallon and I had to go to, I don't know, pick somewhere random and I had to go there, would I take the gospel with me? And when I got there, would I share with my neighbor? Would I share with the person that I was standing in line with to, to buy things at the grocery store? Would I share with those around me? Would I share with people like me or would I share with everybody? And so we do want to, we do want to be evangelizing. We do want to be encouraging. Barnabases are, are crucial to a church. Some of us can get so uh, focused on what we're doing, and then sometimes we get down, we get a little beat down, and, and, and you know, we become pretty dour after a while. And we need Barnabases there to encourage us, to, to, to point us to Christ, to point us to what He's done for us, to, in, to, to encourage us like Barnabas did here. Cling to the Lord. Trust in Him. Keep trusting in Him. Keep doing what you're doing. We need Barnabases. We need encouragement. And we need teaching. And we need teaching and we want to focus on teaching. And we want to focus on taking care of other believers who are suffering. And so uh, we do have those messages uh, that, that we draw from this passage. But it's also Father's Day, right? It's Father's Day. And so I think about dads. I, I think about the role of the father. And a large portion of the role of the father is his ministry to his family. First of all, it's to know Christ and to make him known to our family. And so I want to encourage you, dads, that those blessings that you have, the blessings that you have from knowing Christ, the forgiveness of your sins that you have, the things that you have learned, the ways that you have been encouraged, the ways that you've been ministered to by other people, don't, don't hoard that. Include your kids in that. Include your family in that. Show them, demonstrate to them, open up your life to your kids, open up your faith to your kids so that they can benefit from those same things so that it's not all being hoarded in you, but it's being passed on to them. We're just sharing with them a blessing. We're sharing with them what is wonderful that God has done in our lives. And so we want to preach Christ to them. We want to minister to them in the ways that we've been ministered to. Well, it's not burdensome. It wasn't burdensome for me to receive ministry from people. It shouldn't be burdensome for us to share that ministry with our families either. But finally, what I want us to uh, pay attention to here is what Luke calls the grace of God. The grace of God at work doing these amazing things. We want to remember the, the, the force, what was really behind what was going on. Not, not just the great things that the church there was doing. Not just the, 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 the wonderful progress they were making and all those things. But really, I want us to remember that it is the grace of God that was causing those things to happen. It was the preaching of Christ. It was God using that and Him by His hand adding to the Lord and doing the wonderful things that were going on in Antioch. It was Him doing it. Yeah, the, the people who went opened their mouths. And they were used by the Lord, but it was God doing that. It was the grace of God at work that was encouraging even to a man like Barnabas. And so that's what I want to finish with is our focus on the grace of God and our desire to see the grace of God at work here in Fallon. To see the grace of God at work in our lives and in the lives of people that we love. And so let's pray for that and let's expect that. And let's be willing to be used by God, but let's trust that it is God who is at work to, comp- to accomplish those things. Even though the church was doing wonderful things, this text tells us it was because of the hand of God with them that they had such success. And so I, I want to see success like that in the kingdom of God in, in the lives of dear ones in my life. 
I want to see God using Parkside in that way. I want to see God using all of the gospel-proclaiming churches in Fallon and Churchill County that way. I want to see the kingdom of God grow and expand because God is at work. And so that's, that's what I want to leave us with today is that hope and uh, that joy of God at work in our lives. He did this and accomplished these things. Think back in your own life to the things that he has done and that he has accomplished and trust him that he will continue to grow his kingdom and he will continue by his Holy Spirit to minister through us to, to the lives of those around us. And that's my desire. And that's, that's my desire for, for us on Father's Day and, and uh, for us as we continue ministry and for us as we have VBS coming up in a week and for us with all the ministry efforts that we do and the missions trips that we go on and, and all the things that we do, we want to see God bless. And so let's ask Him even now to bless in those ways. Let's pray. Father, we come to You and rejoice that uh, Barnabas and, and uh, Saul and those in Antioch got to see You at work in such a way. And all they did was open their mouth and, and share Christ. And you blessed and you did wonderful things. And we praise you for that. And we're excited to read about that. And we're excited to imagine that you might do such a thing again. And we can remember other times in history, other times in, in the New Testament and, and uh, beyond the New Testament that you have done things like that. And Father, we trust you. We look to you. And we, we know that we can't uh, follow a recipe and achieve the result that we want of seeing people's lives changed, of seeing people drawn to Christ. Their heart is beyond our grasp. It's beyond our reach. We can't do those things. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us just to open our mouths and speak of these things, speak of Christ, and that you, by your Spirit, would use the gospel proclaimed to draw many to yourself. We have VBS upcoming. And we're going to share the gospel with kids and with any parents who will listen. We're going to share the gospel a lot. And I pray that you would use that message proclaimed and that you, would, uh, that you would draw people to yourself, that you would save sinners and bring them into your kingdom, even in uh, this VBS time and as a result coming out of it. We have other ministries coming up. Father, I pray that you would bless. I pray, pray that you would work, that you would use the proclaimed gospel to save sinners like once upon a time you saved me and you saved so many of us. So, Father, we, we love you and we trust you and we look to you and we thank you that, that uh, you do keep promises and that you do bring the kingdom of God to uh, uh, even beyond the nation of Israel to Gentiles like me. Father, we love you and we trust you and we worship you today. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen.